Section 12 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 8, Great Rulers, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Oliver Cromwell, Part 2. If there ever was a usurpation, this was one. Liberty gave her last sigh on the remonstrance of Sir Harry Vane, and a military hero, by means of his army, stamps his iron heel on England. He dissolves the very body from which he received his own authority, he refuses to have any check on his will, he imposes taxes without the consent of the people, the very thing for which he took up arms against Charles I. He reigns alone on despotic principles as absolute as Louis the Fourteenth. He enshrouds himself in royal state at Hampton Court, he even seeks to bequeath his absolute power to his son. And if Richard Cromwell had reigned like his father Oliver, then the cause of liberty would have been lost. All this is cold, unvarnished history. We cannot get over or around these facts. They blaze out to the eyes of all readers, and will blaze to the most distant ages. Cromwell began as a reformer, but ended as a usurper. Whatever name he goes by, whatever title he may have assumed, he became, by force of his victories and of his army, the absolute ruler of England, as Caesar did of Rome and Napoleon of Paris. We may palliate or extenuate this fact, we may even excuse it on the ground that the state had drifted into anarchy, that only he as the stronger man could save England, that there was no other course open to him as a patriot, and that it was a most fortunate thing for England that he seized the reins and became a tyrant to put down anarchies. But whatever were the excuses by which Cromwell justified himself, or his admirers justify him, let us not deny the facts. It may have been necessary, under his circumstances, to reign alone by the aid of his standing army. But do not attempt to gloss over the veritable fact that he did reign without the support of Parliament and in defiance of all constitutional authorities. It was not the nation which elevated him to supreme power, but his soldiers. At no time would any legitimate Parliament or any popular voice have made him an absolute ruler. He could not even have got a plebiscitum, as Louis Napoleon did. He was not liked by the nation at large, not even by the more enlightened and conservative of the Puritans, such as the Presbyterians and as for the episcopalians they looked upon him not only as a usurper but as a hypocrite it is difficult to justify such an act as usurpation and military tyranny by the standard of an immutable morality if the overturning of all constitutional authority by a man who professed to be a reformer yet who reigned illegally as a despot can be defended it is only on the principle of expediency that the end justifies the means the plea of the jesuits and of all the despots who have overturned constitutions and national liberties but this is rank and undisguised Caesarism. The question then arises, was it necessary that a Caesar should reign at Hampton Court? Some people think it was, and all admit that after the execution of the king there was no settled government, nothing but bitter, intolerant factions, each of which wished its own ascendancy, and all were alike unscrupulous. Revolution ever creates factions and angry parties, more or less violent. It is claimed by many that a good government was impossible with these various and contending parties, and that nothing but anarchy would have existed had not Cromwell seized the reins and sustained himself by a standing army, and ruled despotically. Again, others think that he was urged by a pressure which even he could not resist, that of the army, that he was controlled by circumstances, that he could do no otherwise unless he resigned England to her fate to the anarchy of quarreling and angry parties, who would not listen to reason, and who were too inexperienced to govern in such stormy times. The Episcopalians certainly, and the Presbyterians probably, would have restored Charles the Second, and this Cromwell regarded as a great possible calamity. 
if the king had been restored all the fruit of the revolution would have been lost there would have been a renewed reign of frivolities insincerities court scandals venalities favorites and disguised romanism yea an alliance would have been formed with the old tyrants of europe cromwell was no fool and he had a great insight into the principles on which the stability and prosperity of a nation rested he doubtless felt that the nation required a strong man at the helm and that no one could save england in such a storm but himself i believe he was sincere in this conviction a conviction based on profound knowledge of men and the circumstances of the age i believe he was willing to be aspersed even by his old friends and heartily cursed by his enemies if he could guide the ship of state into a safe harbor i am inclined to believe that he was patriotic in his attentions that he wished to save the country even if necessary by illegal means that he believed there was a higher law for him and that an enlightened posterity would vindicate his name and memory he was not deceived as to his abilities even if he were as to his call he knew that he was the strongest man in england and that only the strongest could rule he was willing to assume the responsibility whatever violence he should do to his early principles or to the opinions of those with whom he was at first associated if there was anything that marked the character of cromwell it was the abiding sense from first to last of his personal responsibility to god almighty whose servant and instrument he felt himself to be i believe he was loyal to his conscience if not to his cause he may have committed grave errors for he was not infallible it may have been an error that he ruled virtually without a parliament since it was better that a good measure should be defeated than that the cause of liberty should be trodden under foot it was better that parliaments should wrangle and quarrel than that there should be no representation of the nation at all and it was an undoubted error to transmit his absolute authority to his son for this was establishing a new dynasty of kings one of the worst things which napoleon ever did was to seat his brothers on the old thrones of europe doubtless cromwell wished to perpetuate the policy of his government but he had no right to perpetuate a despotism in his own family that was an insult to the nation and to the cause of constitutional liberty here he was selfish and ambitious for great as he was he was not greater than the nation or his cause but i need not dwell on the blunders of cromwell if we call them by no harsher name it would be harsh to judge him for his mistakes or sins under his peculiar circumstances his hand in the execution of charles i his jesuitical principles his cruelties in ireland his dispersion of parliament and his usurpation of supreme power only let us call things by their right names we gain nothing by glossing over defects the historians of the bible tell us how abraham told lies to the king of egypt and david caused uriah to be slain after he had appropriated his wife yet who were greater and better upon the whole than these favorites of heaven cromwell earned his great fame as one of the wisest statesmen and ablest rulers that england ever had like all monarchs he is to be judged by the services he rendered to civilization he was not a faultless man but he proved himself a great benefactor whether we like him or not we are compelled to admit that his administration was able and beneficent and that he seemed to be actuated by a sincere desire to do all the good he could if he was ambitious his ambition was directed to the prosperity and glory of his country if he levied taxes without the consent of the nation he spent the money economically wisely and unselfishly he sought no inglorious pomps he built no expensive palaces he gave no foolish fetes nor did he seek to disguise his tyranny by amusing or demoralizing the people like the old roman caesars he would even have established a constitutional monarchy had it been practicable the plots of royalists tempted him to appoint major generals to responsible situations to protect his life he resorted to guards 
he could not part with his power but he used it for the benefit of the nation if he did not reign by or through the people he reigned for the people he established religious liberty and tolerated all sects but catholics and quakers the presbyterians were his enemies but he never persecuted them he had a great regard for law and appointed the ablest and best men to high judicial positions sir matthew hale whom he made chief justice was the greatest lawyer in england an ornament to any country cromwell made strenuous efforts to correct the abuses of the court of chancery and of criminal law he established trial by jury for political offences he tried to procure the formal readmission of the jews to england he held conferences with george fox he snatched biddle the sakinian from the fangs of persecutors he fostered commerce and developed the industrial resources of the nation like burley and colbert he created a navy and became the father of the maritime greatness of england he suppressed all license among the soldiers although his power rested on their loyalty to him he honored learning and exalted the universities placing in them learned men he secured the union between england and scotland and called representatives from scotland to his parliaments he adopted a generous policy with the colonies in north america and freed them from rapacious governors his war policy was not for mere aggrandizement he succeeded gustavus adolphus as the protector of protestantism on the continent he sought to make england respected among the nations and as righteousness exalts a nation he sought to maintain public morality his court was simple and decorous he gave no countenance to levities and follies and his own private life was pure and religious so that there was general admiration of his conduct as well as of his government cromwell was certainly very fortunate in his regime the army and navy did wonders blake and monk gained great victories gibraltar was taken one of the richest prizes that england ever gained in war the fleets of spain were destroyed the trade of the indies was opened to his ships he maintained the balance of power he punished the african pirates of the mediterranean his glory reached asia and extended to america so great was his renown that the descendants of abraham even on the distant plains of asia inquired of one another if he were not the servant of the king of kings whom they were looking for a learned rabbi even came from asia to london for the purpose of investigating his pedigree thinking to discover in him the lion of the tribe of judah if his policy had been followed out by his successors louis the fourteenth would not have dared to revoke the edict of Nantes. if he had reigned ten years longer there would have been no revival of romanism i suppose england never had so enlightened a monarch he was more like charlemagne than richelieu contrast him with louis the fourteenth a contemporaneous despot cromwell devoted all his energies to develop the resources of his country while louis did what he could to waste them cromwell's reign was favorable to the development of individual genius but louis was such an intolerable egotist that at the close of his reign all the great lights had disappeared cromwell was tolerant louis was persecuting cromwell laid the foundation for an indefinite expansion louis sowed the seeds of discontent and revolution both indeed took the sword one to dethrone the Stuarts, the other to exterminate the protestants cromwell bequeathed to successors the moral force of personal virtue louis paved the way for the most disgraceful excesses cromwell spent his leisure hours with his family and with divines louis with his favorites and mistresses cromwell would listen to expostulations louis crushed all who differed from him the career of the former was a progressive rise that of the latter a progressive fall the ultimate influence of cromwell's policy was to develop the greatness of england that of louis to cut the sinews of national wealth and poison those sources of renovation which still remained the memory of cromwell is dear to good men in spite of his defects while that of louis in spite of his graces and urbanities is a watchword for all that is repulsive in despotism 
hence cromwell is more and more a favorite with enlightened mind while louis is more and more regarded as a man who made the welfare of the state subordinate to his own glory in a word cromwell feared only god while louis feared only hell the piety of the one was lofty that of the other was technical formal and pharisaical the chief defect in the character of cromwell was his expediency or what i call jesuitism following out good ends by questionable means the chief defect in the character of louis was an absorbing egotism which sacrificed everything for private pleasure or interest the difficulty in judging cromwell seems to me to be the imperfection of our standards of public morality we are apt to excuse in a ruler what we condemn in a private man if oliver cromwell is to be measured by the standard which accepts expediency as a guide in life he will be excused for his worst acts if he is to be measured by an immutable standard he will be picked to pieces in regard to his private life aside from the cant and dissimulation there is not much to condemn and there is much to praise he was not a libertine like henry the fourth nor an egotist like napoleon he delighted in the society of the learned and the pious he was susceptible to grand sentiments he was just in his dealings and fervent in his devotions he was liberal humane simple unostentatious and economical he was indeed ambitious but his ambition was noble his intellectual defect was his idea of special divine illumination which made him visionary and rhapsodical and conceited he was a second adventist and believed that christ would return at no distant time to establish the reign of the saints upon the earth but his morals were as irreproachable as those of marcus aurelius like michelangelo he despised frivolities though it is said he relished rough jokes like abraham lincoln he was conscientious in the discharge of what he regarded as duties and seemed to feel his responsibility to god as the sovereign of the universe his family revered him as much as the nation respected him he was not indeed lovable like saint louis but he can never lose the admiration of mankind since the glory of his administration was not sullied by those private vices which destroy esteem and ultimately undermine both power and influence he was one of those world heroes of whom nations will be proud as they advance in the toleration of human infirmities as they draw distinction between those who live for themselves and those who live for their country and the recognition of those principles on which all progress is based cromwell died prematurely if not for his fame at least for his usefulness his reign as protector lasted only five years yet what wonders he did in that brief period he suppressed the anarchies of the revolution he revived law he restored learning he developed the resources of his country he made it respected at home and abroad and shed an imperishable glory on his administration but on the threshold of success he met the inexorable enemy it was a stormy night august thirtieth sixteen fifty eight when the wild winds were roaring and all nature was overclouded with darkness and gloom that the last intelligible words of the dying hero were heard by his attendants o lord though i am a miserable sinner i am still in covenant with thee thou hast made me though very unworthy an instrument to do thy people good and go on o lord to deliver them and make thy name glorious throughout the world these dying words are the key alike to his character and his mission he believed himself to be an instrument of the almighty sovereign in whom he believed and whom with all his faults and errors he sought to serve and in whom he trusted and it is in this light chiefly that the career of this remarkable man is to be viewed an instrument of god he plainly was to avenge the wrongs of an insulted an indignant and an honest nation and to impress upon the world the necessity of wise and benignant rulers he arose to vindicate the majesty of public virtue to rebuke the egotism of selfish kings to punish the traitors of important trusts 
he arose to point out the true sources of national prosperity to head off the troops in a renovated romanism to promote liberty of conscience in all matters of religious belief he was raised up as a champion of protestantism when kings were returning to rome and as an awful chastiser of those bigoted and quarrelsome irish who have ever been hostile to law and order and uncontrollable by any influence but that of fear but above all he was raised up to try the experiment of liberty in the seventeenth century that experiment unfortunately failed all sects and parties sought ascendancy rather than the public good angry and inexperienced they refused to compromise sectarianism was the true hydra that baffled the energy of the courageous combatant parliaments were factious meddlesome and inexperienced and sought to block the wheels of government rather than promote wholesome legislation the people hankered for their old pleasures and were impatient of restraint their leaders were demagogues or fanatics they could not be coerced by mild measures or appeals to enlightened reason hence coercive measures were imperative and these could be carried only by a large standing army ever the terror and menace of liberty the greatest blot on constitutional governments a necessity but an evil since the military power should be subordinate to the civil not the civil to the military the iron hand by which cromwell was obliged to rule if he ruled at all at last became odious to all classes since they had many rights which were ignored when they clamored for the blood of an anointed tyrant they did not bargain for a renewed despotism more irksome and burdensome than the one they had suppressed the public rejoicings the universal enthusiasm the brilliant spectacles and fetes the flattering receptions and speeches which hailed the restoration of charles the second showed unmistakably that the regime of cromwell though needed for a time was unpopular and was not in accordance with the national aspirations if they were to be ruled by a tyrant they preferred to be ruled according to the precedents and traditions and hallowed associations the english people loved then as they love now as they have ever loved royalty the reign of kings according to the principles of legitimacy they have shown the disposition to fetter these kings not to dispense with them so the experiment of cromwell and his party failed how mournful it must have seemed to the original patriots of the revolution that hard iron military rule was all that england had gained by the struggles and the blood of her best people wherefore had treasures been lavished in a nine years contest wherefore the battles of marston moor and worcester wherefore the eloquence of pym and hampton all wasted the house which had been swept and garnished was re-entered by devils worse than before thus did this experiment seem teaching at last this useful and impressive lesson that despotism will succeed unwise and violent efforts for reform that reforms are not to be carried on by bayonets but by reason that reformers must be patient and must be contented with constitutional measures that any violation of the immutable laws of justice will be visited with unlooked-for retribution but sad as this experiment seemed can it be pronounced to be wholly a failure no earnest human experiment is ever thrown away the great ideas of cromwell and of those who originally took up arms with him entered into new combinations the spirit remained if the form was changed after temporary reaction the love of liberty returned the second revolution of sixteen eighty eight was the logical sequence of the first it was only another act in the great drama of national development the spirit which overthrew charles the first also overturned the throne of james the second but the wisdom gained by experience sent him into exile instead of executing him on the scaffold two experiments with those treacherous stuarts were necessary before the conviction became fastened on the mind of the english people that constitutional liberty could not exist while they remained upon the throne and the spirit which had burst out into a blazing flame two generations earlier was now confined within constitutional limits
but it was not suppressed it produced salutary reforms with every advancing generation it produced says macaulay the famous declaration of right which guaranteed the liberties of the english upon their present basis which again led to the freedom of the press the abolition of slavery catholic emancipation and representative reform had the experiment not been tried by cromwell and his party it might have been tried by worse men whose gospel of rights would be found in the social contract of a rousseau rather than in the catechism of the westminster divines it was fortunate that revolutionary passions should have raged in the bosoms of christians rather than of infidels of men who believed in obedience to a personal god rather than men who teach the holiness of untutored impulse the infallibility of majorities and the majesty of the unaided intellect of man and then who can estimate the value of cromwell's experience on the patriots of our own revolution his example may have taught the great washington how dangerous and inconsistent it would be to accept an earthly crown while denouncing the tyranny of kings and how much more enduring is that fame which is cherished in a nation's heart than that which is blared by the trumpet of idolatrous soldiers indifferent to those rights which form the basis of social civilization authorities bulstrode's memoirs ludlow's memoirs sir edward walker's historical discourses carlyle's speeches and letters of oliver cromwell macaulay's essays hallam's constitutional history frauda's history of england guizot's history of cromwell lamartine's essay on cromwell forster's statesman of the british commonwealth clarendon's history of the rebellion hume and lingard's histories of england life of cromwell by russell southey's protectorate of cromwell three english statesmen goldwin smith dr wilson's life of cromwell duaubergine's life of oliver cromwell articles in north american north british westminster and british quarterlies on cromwell end of section twelve